electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people make friends? Just trying to make you a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to teach you about how the markets work. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. Here's something no one's willing to do. No one. I'm going to call bottom. All right, it doesn't matter that it sure looks like we have one in the middle of June when oil spiked to the mid-120s, the uh, 10-year Treasury yielded 3.5%, and the future looked very bleak. The house of pain. That's when the averages hit their lows, and since then, they've made a remarkable recovery. So it's a little weird that we don't hear more about the bottom being called. Especially on days like today, where minuscule moves in bonds and oil cause big swings in stocks. Even as the Dow ultimately finished up only 60 points, S&P advanced 0.29%. Nasdaq gained 0.41%, though. How come nobody wants to mention that we may have been... That maybe we, maybe we got a bottom. Why don't they? See, I got to thinking about this after listening to some excellent work from my colleague Michael Santoli when I sat down with Scott Wapner on his... This halftime show today. Michael was pointing out the potential importance of those June benchmarks I just mentioned. I found myself using uh, one of the biggest changes in this business over the past, let's say, uh, three decades that I've been involved in, about four, but three decades ago is where it really started. See, no one wants to stick their neck out anymore. No one wants to say that was the bottom and we're in the clear, even when we've already bounced hard from that bottom. You know why? I think YouTube plays a brutal role in this dynamic. If you call a bottom on television, it's a mistake. Maybe we get some black swan disaster or horrendous third quarter earnings in October or a crazy election scenario. Then you will forever be known as a fool because those clips never go away. That's why commentators really don't have much incentive to try to call a bottom. If they're right, they don't get much credit. But if they're wrong, well, let's just say... They will never, ever live it down. That's way too asymmetrical for too many people. They'll always be known as the dope who called a false bottom. 
They will deface your tombstone with it. Now, I'm willing to take that risk in part because I know a big chunk of people who will hate me no matter what, but mainly because I like where we are right now. While I think we could test June's lows, I mean, even tonight we had weak numbers from Salesforce.com, and they were weak, and weak numbers from NVIDIA, and they were weak. There's plenty of reason to be apprehensive, but I'm betting the market will bend, not break through a rough September, and when we get through that period, that June low will hold. Now, it won't be easy because we got a bunch of new negative factors. But I want to stake my claim today ahead of the Jackson Hole speeches from Fed Chief Jay Powell and his central banker compadres on Friday. Why? Well, remember the context. In mid-June, we had just gotten a triple rate hike that week on June 15th. And that's a pretty staggering move by the Fed. It shows that the Fed meant business. Now, historically, we don't get a lot of 75 basis point bumps. Wall Street lapped it up, though, because it told us the Fed's taking inflation really seriously. But then the next day, there was tremendous buyer's remorse in the stock market. Investors seemed to, sure that, seemed to assume that things were still very much out of control. Okay? They figured we'd get hit with a series of additional rate hikes, aggressive ones, and therefore we had to steal ourselves for some real discouraging earnings reports come July. Why not, right? I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Fed tightening, and we're going to go into a gloomy period. The reports are going to be bad. The sell was nasty to the point where it brought down virtually everything. That's one of the reasons why I'm so confident that these June lows that we're talking about right here might actually represent a bottom because so many people capitulated and so many hedge funds got short. Let me put it in perspective. First, we tend to look at stocks in a vacuum. We want to know how the S&P 500 is faring and how our individual stocks or mutual funds are doing. But we rarely look around at other asset classes, which is why investors often make big mistakes, like dumping stocks in the lows in June when we got that first 75 basis point rate hike instead of buying them. If you only looked at the stock market, you would have missed what caused the bottom. While stock owners were skeptical about the impact of that rate hike, bondholders and commodity traders had a very different reaction. They decided that Jay Powell was no longer to be trifled with. People bought 10-year treasuries hand over fist, so the yields started coming down. At the same time, oil prices spiked, oh, uh, spiked and they rolled, they rolled over. I mean, it's rather amazing. Here you have the first spike and then the second spike, and then oil rolled over, even though it was in the 120s. Given how important the price of crude is to the inflation food chain, including day-to-day inflation that's right in your face at the pump, we should have realized that this was a monumental story. We never heard the end of it when oil was on its way up. Somehow it became a non-issue on the way down. That was wrong. Bond market knew that. Okay, so you have to ask yourself, how did so many investors miss this? You see, because the decline in oil had nothing to do with the United States or even the well-covered OPEC. It was all about Russia striking gold with India. We thought Russia wouldn't be able to find markets for its sanctioned oil outside of China. That would have bottled that oil up. Oil would have gone, of course, through the roof. But India couldn't resist that cheap crude. That meant the world price had to come down, and it collapsed. Bond guys, sensing a peak in the most important commercial commodity, just kept buying bonds and buying bonds, causing the selling in stocks to stop because the bond market is joined at the hip of the stock market. How about the worries of the stock market investors that the second quarter numbers would be terrible and the guidance would be worse because that's what normally happens when the Fed tightens like crazy? Well, you know what? It hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen. 
This earnings season, the one that just ended, vast majority of companies did fine. A huge number of beat and raised quarters. Very few dis- true disappointments, with the exception of some software companies that forecasted too high and got hurt particularly by the strong dollar, but also by customers who are nervous, and most importantly, retailers that misjudged everything about the consumer and have way too much inventory. Since the June lows, nothing has happened that would shatter the illusion or reality of a bottom. Oil crashed with prices plunging from the 120s to the mid-90s. That's a stunning decline, one that devastated the oil stocks while creating a nice rally in a lot of techs because they tend to trade in opposite direction. Now we've had a bounce in the basics, the grains and the metals of late. But these are the normal commodities. Got to be careful. We also had a modest spike in oil. But the latter wasn't enough to offset what came out today, which is a decline in home prices for the first time in three years and the largest month-over-month decline since 2011. Without something out of Russia that limits oil production, some sort of U.S.-led embargo, highly unlikely, then oil simply not going back to those threatening levels. Why does this matter? Without a spike in oil, which would cause a collapse in corporate earnings, then I think the June lows will hold. Notice, I didn't say they should hold. I said they will hold. The trial will come when the Fed starts selling its own bond holdings with reckless abandon as they keep raising rates. That could create a test of the lows in September. But again, I'm confident that they'll hold. You see, there are so many things that are actually going right in the United States that it's hard to import the bad stuff from overseas. Our natural gas costs are a tenth of what it costs in Europe right now because we have more of this stuff virtually than anyone on Earth. Our natural resources cup runneth over, even if we're despoiling the planet pretty faster than ever. We don't have an economy that's collapsing under the weight of endless COVID restrictions like China. We don't have a war down the block that's been raging for six months, even though only Russia and Ukraine are going at it directly. The reverberations are hurting anyone who sells goods or services in Europe. The bottom line, we have much to be grateful for in the United States, including that glorious June 16 bottom. And I, for one, am a believer. I don't mind making that call and running the risk of still one more YouTube presentation that's cut to make me look like a moron. Haters, knock yourselves out. Let's go to Neil in New York, please, Neil. Hi, Jim. Hi, hi, Neil. What's up? Uh, I'm calling about the 3M spinoff, which is complicated. Uh, the offering is, ex- is uh, to exchange any amount of your 3M stock at $100 to get 1750 of 3M spinoff Garden Spinco Corp. Following right. the transaction, you're going to get the value of Neogen shares. You can't sell the Garden Spinco shares at a profit, and you have to right. take the Neogen shares when they convert. And, uh, right, right. And that's why I've got to tell you, Neil. To I, I, but that's why I think that it's worth selling 3M. I just don't think that there's enough there, whether it be the yield or earnings, to really make it so that it's worth owning. Let's go to Michelle in New Hampshire, please. Michelle. Michelle? Yes. Good evening. Hi, it's Jim. How are you? Yes, how are you? I'm good. If I could tap your wisdom this evening. Sure. We benefit. Okay, great. We benefited when United Rentals recently appreciated a bump after reporting earnings. So my Mm -hmm. question to you is, is this a time for profit-taking for long-term investment, or for something in between? So that's you are. I think, you know, look, it's a great question, Michelle, and I've got to tell you that I think they're going to be a principal beneficiary of all this infrastructure spending, and so therefore I want you to hold on to URI. Almost no one in this business is willing to pull a bottom. 
but I'm willing to stand by that glorious bottom in the middle of June. I think it will hold and bend, but not break. On Man Money tonight, Salesforce reported after Bell. So what could be gleaned from the Cloud Kings quarter? I've got the exclusive with the CEO. Then, as you set up your fantasy football lineup, we're putting a classic bad money twist on fantasy and giving you a lineup of stocks that might be worth watching. And did Snowflake's report bring the blizzard to Wall Street that tech investors were worried about or hoping for? I'm running through the numbers with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's not kid ourselves. This has been a horrible year for the cloud stocks, even as they rebounded a bit from their late spring or early summer lows. But they're still down huge year to date. Many of them cut in half. Wall Street very worried about the future as we go into a Fed-mandated slowdown and, I should say, also a worldwide slowdown. Which brings me to Salesforce, the king of the cloud software space. Tonight, Salesforce reported more of the quarterly results came in pretty much as expected. Their outlook for the current quarter disappointed, and they also trimmed their full-year forecast. And by the way, this is for the second time in a row. I wish they had trimmed it harder the first time. And that's why the stock's getting a beating in after-hours trading. Now, there's no denying that the world has slowed, and Salesforce's orders have slowed with it. The question really is, should you buy it now or wait until things get better? 
But things are not as good as I'd like, which is why we're going out to Dreamforce pretty soon to find out if the future is as murky as it seems from these releases and the conference call. So we're obviously worried about this one. But the business opportunity remains strong. Demand remains incredibly strong. So it may just be a buying opportunity for a stock we sold much higher for the Chapel Trust. So let's check in with Mark Benioff, the co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of Salesforce.com to get a better read on the quarter. Mr. Benioff, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you, Jim. And hello from San Francisco and Salesforce Tower. Oh, it's so good that you're back there. Okay, so Mark, I'm going to give you three numbers. The stock's looking down. Let's forget the stock for a second. I'm going to give you $5.1 billion, then $6.3 billion, and $7.7 billion. That's the cadence that Salesforce has, isn't it? Well, Jim, you know our numbers very well. Those, you know, you can see the incredible growth that's really happened for Salesforce over the last two years. I think it's really just unprecedented. And uh, it, it's it's amazing to see it go exactly like you said, from $5.1 billion, which is our second quarter two years ago, to where we are with $7.7 billion. This is a monster quarter. You can see this is even our first quarter where we've exceeded SAP's revenue in the quarter. Very proud of our team. Incredible. All right. So what we have to deal with is there's, there's a guidance issue. Last time you were on, you talked about how great it would be to be a tourist. So, of course, I immediately booked a plane to Milan, where I booked it for about a fraction of what I paid last year when I went. Now, people don't seem to understand that Salesforce is not a company that's located in San Francisco and doesn't do any business east of the Mississippi. You're a worldwide company, and the dollar is crushing the best companies of which you are. So could you give us a sense about how much of that guide down, so to speak, it's just a change in currency. Well, you can see we had a great quarter, you know, $7.7 billion in revenue. Uh, our operating margin, you know, approximately 20%. That's amazing. Strong operating cash flow of uh, 334. I mean, it's amazing. Um, and, um, you know, what I think, Jim, that's so exciting also is the amount of revenue that we have now on the balance sheet that is not yet booked. You know, our RPO is at $41.6 billion, And you can see, yes, our revenue guidance is now at $31 billion. And that's really composed of two things. One is this incredible compression that we've had in these currencies. I think I was probably the first person on your show to talk about that <laughs> 90 were. days ago when I said, you know, we had a great quarter but the dollar had a better quarter because I was in Japan and I could just see everything was a third off. And then uh, now we see the euro, I think, which is now maybe for the first time in quite a long time underneath the dollar. So the currency environment, but you know, this is a more measured economic environment. Everyone is trying to assess what's going on. How do they position themselves for this new economy? It's a new day for many companies. And I think when you look out at all these businesses, Yes, they're all doing digital transformation. This is still everybody's number one priority. Every digital transformation is still beginning and ending with the customer. But customers are more measured. They just are. I mean, they're appropriately more measured because they're just not sure. What does all this mean for them? But, but, Mark, I care more about demand, even if it's measured, than I care about whether companies have too much inventory or whether you've misjudged. I think a combination of a, an amazing buyback, which I'm not used to seeing, and the possibility yeah. that you have customers like L'Oreal, the VA, Mondelez, these are companies that need you that you would think, well, wait a second, they must have been digitized a long time ago. We're obviously uh, going to get through this period. And if you look at the stock during this period now and it gets better, 
I think that it's highly unlikely that you have done anything other than buy your own stock at a very cheap price. Well, you're right. We found a great new company to acquire, Jim. It's amazing. It's had like over 70 quarters of positive revenue growth. Amazing brand, great cash flow, great market share. Uh, and we're going to buy $10 billion of it. It's called Salesforce. So I'm very excited about that. And you're also right, not only doing our first ever stock repurchase, but we have these great customer relationships. And, you know, our biggest deal of the quarter is the Veterans Administration. Now for six years, we've been rebuilding their business. That is so important to me personally, because our veterans have done so much for our country. Anything we can do to give them the best customer service in the world is our greatest pleasure. And, you know, also, not only do I love the veterans, I love Oreos. So I've been to Mondelez, Ritz crackers, Chips Ahoy. You know, it's a great snack company. You know, Dirk is doing an amazing job. He's a fantastic CEO. And they're using MuleSoft and they're using Tableau and they're using our customer 360. They have an incredible new CIO who we've worked with at Procter & Gamble and Coca-Cola. Javier, he's incredible also. So I'm very excited about that. So thank you for mentioning Mondelez. And yes, L'Oreal. And I love Kiehl's. You know, I used it this morning. And we have, you can go to 200 L'Oreal commerce sites right now, all powered by the Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And it's not just a B2C story. It's a B2B story as well. You know, we're helping them to go to market for all of their retailers as well, not just the direct B2C experience, which we love. Mark, let me ask you. You have a terrific uh, introduced a long time ago. I love this guy. You have a co-CEO. I have a thought. I do. Have a a great one. Brett Taylor. Now, is he, how much time is he able to spend? I mean, there's going to be depositions. There's going to be endless subpoenas. To someone you know, Elon Musk, is he back? Or is he able to multitask like no other person in the world? Oh, Brett and I are on the phone literally every single day. Brett is here with me. We're working side by side. He is the chairman of Twitter. He's an incredible person, 42 years old, amazing co-CEO, super high energy, and has been all over the world this quarter, just like I have. In fact, when I was heading to Japan, he had he headed to Latin America and has been doing a great job. I couldn't be more proud of well, Brett. Well, once again, I can just end with the idea that when you got to those countries, the dollar was king. And that's why a lot of your contracts aren't worth as much as people thought, but will be once the dollar settles down and the world gets better. Well, you can see, Jim, you know, at the end of the day, the most important thing is that we have customer success. We've talked about this every time I've been on the show since 2009 or 2010. Mm -hmm. If you look at our stock, 2008, 2010, Yes, it's not all straight up and to the right. There's these moments in time where the economy is moving or we're moving or different things are happening. But at the end of the day, the reason why we're able to deliver $31 billion in revenue this year, one of the largest software prints ever, is because of our commitment to our customers. And this is what I am deeply committed to more than ever. Oh. And Jim, Dreamforce is coming, which is going to be a huge incredible catalyst for this company because we are back at scale, 100,000 people here in San Francisco, September 20th to the 22nd. You better be here. Of course Your I'll be there. What, are you kidding here. me? It's going to be I'm, so I'm, exciting. I, I, I can't go. There's a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert that I can't go. That, Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're not yours? the only Bono is going to be here. We have a lot of exciting people All right, coming. well, let's do this. Jim, My travel trust, five days from now, moment. we're going to buy stock. If it's down here, I just hope that you give us a chance and don't go in with your giant buyback. 
until we're done for our charity and for the investing club. That's Mark Benioff, chair, co-CEO, and co-founder of Salesforce. We've been waiting for this to happen. Here it is. Thank you, Mark. I'll see you at Dreamforce. Jim, I'll see you at Dreamforce. Can't wait Very to good. be with Thank you. Thank you. May have money's back in for the Coming up, fantasy football season is in the red zone. Master the X's and O's of your investments before kickoff. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. season comes back on Thursday, September 8th. Hey, Bills take on the champion L.A. Rams. Oh, and of course, NBC. Over the next few weeks, tens of millions of people will be sitting down to conduct what? Fantasy drafts. As regular viewers know, I love fantasy football. We've even got our own league here at Mad Money, the Not Your Average slump dicka League. Of course, that's worth Googling. I think fantasy is a great analog for building your own portfolio, though. And that's why every year we run a fantasy stock football series where we compare the NFL's best fantasy draft picks with some of our favorite stocks. Because I think it's just a fantastic way to put these names in context and to learn, 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 which is what this show is about. So over the next two weeks, we're running our annual fantasy stock football draft, starting with quarterbacks, running backs and wide receivers tonight and filling out the rest of the positions tomorrow. We'll start as every player on the (laughs) player on the football field does. The quarterback position, in terms of the stock market, quarterbacks are, frankly, a little more important than the actual fantasy league because they're your blue-chip stocks, your most dependable names, the ones that you want to hold, not trade in and and out of. It's first round when it comes to stocks, usually third third or fourth in the actual fantasy. A typical fantasy football roster only has one starting spot for the quarterback position, so you want consistency above all else. And if it's consistency you're looking for, well, you know, come on. It's hard to go anywhere else other than to choose Tom Brady. Even if he's already kind of ancient by NFL standards, the Tampa Bay single caller was still the best, third best fantasy quarterback last year, which is incredible. 22nd season. As I see it, Brady's the apple of football. There might be higher risk, higher reward options, but if you pick him, it's hard to envision a scenario where you don't get at least another top 10 performance. As for Apple, which is more important right now, you know my position here. You own it. You do not trade it. You always hear calls from people who say, oh, Apple's best days are behind it, or it's got too much exposure to China, or the suppliers are trash talking them. Those have been consistently, those have consistently been buying opportunities, every single one of them. Just like how every call for Tom Brady to have a down year has turned out to be wrong. 
I sure wish that Apple would buy the NFL ticket for Apple Plus by their, by their upcoming meeting. What a killer combo that would be. Now, if you want a fresher option, I like Joe Burrow, the Heisman Trophy winner, who's now in his third year as quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. I may take him as high at the end of the second round if he's still available. Burrow's numbers didn't blow you away. He was the eighth best fantasy quarterback last season, but he was coming off an ACL, ACL injury. At worst, I think he'll be a solid player this year, and at best, he has the potential to be truly excellent. He's got some terrific receivers to go to. What's the stock market equivalent of Joe Burrow? Well, let's just stay in Cincinnati, if you don't mind, and go with Procter & Gamble, the best-of-breed consumer packaged goods play that we own for the charitable trust. Lately, Procter's beer, it's been hobbled, I admit, by raw cost inflation. Call that their ACL injury. But those costs have now peaked, even as Procter's previous price increases continue to stick, meaning the earnings are about to be fabulous. It's called leverage. Plus, this is exactly the point in the business cycle where you need something slow and steady like Procter. You think if, if the Fed's tough on Friday... You're going to be naked, not with Proctor. One last quarterback i got to mention because I'm a homer, and that's Jalen Hurts of my beloved Philadelphia Eagles. NBC's football analyst Matthew Burry, old friend, thinks he could turn in a top-five performance this season. The best thing about Hurts is the optionality. He can throw the ball, and he's a fantastic runner, which is why I think the best comparison is Johnson & Johnson. Great company with limited downside, possibility of big upside thanks to its pending breakup. Remember, it's getting into... Just the regular generics and then the rest, the, the, the farmer that grows fast. Uh, that is exactly what when Hertz runs versus when he passes. Now, let's talk running backs. Arguably the most important spot in your roster for fantasy football, unless you draft it badly. What you want here is steady production. Strong numbers week in and week out. How can you get, deliver that yardage? Well, first up, we all know. It's Jonathan Taylor from Indianapolis, the league's number one rusher last year. One thing you need in a running back is availability. Given the wear and tear on these guys, it's hard to find a player who can make it through every game of the season. Taylor made it through all 17 games and was one of just two players in the league to average more than 100 rushing yards per game. You know what that guy is? That is Frank Reichstream, the the coach whom I liked so much for the Colts. Colts go far this year. Stock market equivalent of who's going far this year? That's Indianapolis-based Eli Lilly. The Pharma Giant has been a huge winner for my travel trust. Lilly's got plenty of upside from its recently improved diabetes and obesity drug, along with its potential Alzheimer's treatment that is all shh, people don't talk about. At the same time, Lilly's got consistency because it's a drug company. So it's not hostage to a slowing economy. No Jackson Hole problems. It can keep playing no matter what. Second running back, kind of an odd pick. I'm probably not going to pick up too high, but others want him, and that's DeAndre Swift. Now, at least the speedster from the University of Georgia, who's entering his third season with Detroit. Now, there's a lot of buzz about Swift, but he only played 13 games, gosh darn it, in each of the first two seasons. And it doesn't help that the Lions are terrible. Still, the talent's there, and this could be a breakout season for Swift. You know what that reminds me of? Another Detroit operator, Ford. The Ford Motor Corporation, which is finally getting over a multi-year component shortage that's hampered production. Ford's costs have also come down huge in its last few months, and they've got a very exciting new lineup of electric vehicles if they can just make them all. Just like DeAndre Swift, this could be the season where Ford unlocks its full potential. Yes, they had to lay off 3,000 white-collar people, but why did they do that? They're trying to put more money into the bottom line. I feel bad for those people, but this is the right environment to get a job. Now, then there's, oh, CMC, Christian McCaffrey. 
from Carolina. He won me the Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh, he's the unquestioned top player in fantasy football when I was winning. When McCaffrey's healthy, and, and that's really the issue, he's electric. He can run. He can catch. He's unmatched in the open field. He's tough. But he hasn't been healthy for the past couple of years. The, the experts think he can recover this year. You know what that kind of reminds me of? How about Honeywell, which recently moved its headquarters to Charlotte, where CMC plays. Now, when, when healthy, Honeywell's one of our favorite industrials. But their, their aerospace business was seriously hobbled, hobbled by COVID. Now, I think it can make a comeback, which is why we own this one for the Travel Trust. I'm itching to buy more at 190. My partner, Jeff Marks, a little more circumspect. Finally, how about wide receivers? This is the most dynamic position. Some people think you got to pick these you know, no matter what in the first round. You want the ability to make the big plays, even if they're less consistent. Wide receivers are what we call high risk, high reward. I'm looking for high ceiling companies that, yes, could cost me a little pain on the downside. The top wide receiver last year was Cooper Cup from the Rams. Hands down, the best in the league. Uh, his stock market analog, well, it has to be. Well, who's best in the league right now? Palo Alto Networks, P-A-N-W, the best in breach cybersecurity alpha because as the NFL has become a passing first league, a passing first league, strong receivers have become essential in the same way that cybersecurity has become essential for corporate America. Now, we just spoke to Palo Alto CEO, CEO Nikesh Arora. I don't know if you caught that interview. So Monday, after he turned in yet another great set of numbers, just like Cup, well, it's the single best weapon in the passing game right now. Palo Alto is the single best stock in the cybersecurity space. They both delivered blowaway numbers. And by the way, just, you know, like the software companies that reported tonight, when you talk about like a, a Salesforce as much as I like it, they're not, they don't have the demand that a Palo Alto has. Ne- neither, by the way, does NVIDIA. Now, I also like C.D. Lamb even though he plays for the Dallas Cowboys. But remember, they got rid of everybody else who's any good. Lamb's entering his third season, but he's already building a fantastic track record. I'm expecting an even better performance this year. I probably will draft him in the first round. Reminds me of the increasingly Texas-based Tesla, which has steadily grown the production capacity and is now getting a bunch of, of subsidies thanks to the big climate bill Biden just signed. And then there's Devontae Adams, traded from the Packers to the Raiders, who has been one of the most bankable receivers in the league. He's now working with a not-as-good quarterback, but I think he can still have a good season. So who is that? Well, it feels exactly like Amazon, a business that's gotten a little worse this year thanks to an e-commerce slowdown, even as it remains a tremendous outfit. Last but not least, this isn't a recommendation, but Tyreek Hill feels a lot like the Bitcoin of the NFL. In that his performance is insanely volatile. And he just moved to Miami, like so many uh, uh, crypto uh, companies. One week, he's incredible. The next week, he's awful. He looks amazing today, by the way, in a joint practice he had with the Eagles. Bottom line, think about what roles you need to fill in your portfolio, just like drafting a fantasy football. And by the way, if you spend more time on your fantasy football team than you do in your stock portfolio, would you please just go and buy an index fund? Let's go to Evan in Virginia. Evan. Mr. Jim, long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm calling oh, about thank you. What's up? one. Stock ticker S. Poor financial. Yeah. A lot of insider sales. Not a lot of insider holding. What do we think for a long-term investment? Um, I, I happen to like, I like Tumber Weingarten, but I'm not going to recommend the stock. I'm going to tell you why. Because there's only one 
cybersecurity stock that is worth owning, and that is Palo Alto, C-A-N-W, and that's going to be like that for a very long time because Nikesh Aurora has built an amazing company. Football season, friends, is indeed back. If you approach your portfolio like you do your fantasy football roster, I actually think you'll be a much better investor. We're going to do a lot of that this season. Much more mad money had good my suits with Snowflake. Could the data powerhouse continue its mission toward growth? You know what? I'm going to dig in the quarter with the company's CEO. And where have all the workers gone? I'm sharing one key conference call from yesterday that I think helps answer that question. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Since last November, the expensive software as a service stocks have really been obliterated. But some of the other kind of software stocks have come down too much. Take Snowflake, the cloud-based data warehousing and analytics play, which has been one of the most richly valued stocks out there since it came public two years ago. Tonight, Snowflake put the doubters to shame and reported a magnificent quarter. Top and bottom line beat, management raising the four-year forecast. And tell me so many companies are cutting numbers in this space. I'm calling it a pleasant surprise. Could this be the beginning of something much larger? Let's dig deeper with Frank Sloopman, the chairman and CEO of Snowflake, to learn more. Mr. Sloopman, congratulations to the quarter. Welcome back to Bad Money. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Good to be on the program. Okay, so, Frank, I'm looking at your model. I know some of these PVs analysts are saying, well, he can't be really do well in a recession. Better to lock customers up for three years. I look at it differently. People who are not sure and are measured about the future can pick you, get the job done, and then go back to their work. And that's really what the customer wants right now. Yeah, I think the model actually works better uh, in a down market where people are, you know, having uh, headwinds and trepidations and not knowing which which way the world's going to go. You like the elasticity, uh, being able to throttle back, throttle up. You know, when you have the confidence in a, in a traditional subscription model, you don't have that luxury. You know? Well, what's amazing is you've really developed a couple of verticals that I didn't think you were, to tell you the truth. I didn't think you'd be this far along in consumer packaged goods. Uh, I, I didn't think you'd be this far along, say, in financial BlackRock you have. Now, I don't think Larry Fink, I think there's no one like him. I think he's probably the most sophisticated mind when it comes to finance in the entire world. What is he doing with you? Because whatever he's doing with you, I want to do with you. Well, you know, Black, BlackRock is replatforming Aladdin, which is the world standard for uh, for asset management, as I'm sure most of your your viewers will uh, will know, um, on Snowflake, and um, you know that's that's well underway. And of course, you know Aladdin is is a platform that's been used by hundreds and hundreds of other Wall Street uh, you know institutions that then also uh, you know become um, Snowflake users. So the network effect. Uh, of those kind of relationship uh, is enormous. In general, in financial services, um, there's a huge amount of data that is flowing uh, every night between institutions, you know, because of regulatory uh, requirements uh, and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, when everybody is on Snowflake, we can stop doing that because uh, the data stays put and uh, the work just finds the data. So it works out really well. There's strong network effect uh, in financial services. I also think that if I am a company and I don't have my engineers and I have a discrete product, uh, I, a company like Raytheon, I'm just picking that, I just know they don't have enough engineers, but there are lots of companies that don't. I would go to you and, and just give you the discrete project because I can't, I, can't, I can't hire. Aren't you the answer to many companies that are just having these endless problems and telling me, yeah, I wish I could do better, but I can't hire. 
Well, one, one of the things that, that Snowflake has done that I, that I think is incredibly important is that we, we have really uh, lowered the skill level that is necessary to, to harness this kind of power in analytics. You don't need to be a hardcore programmer uh, to get up to speed and to be productive on Snowflake. And you, you see that in our business. I mean, we, we serve the largest enterprises in the world but also two men and a dog and a handful of files, right? So, uh, and, and, and so the, the, the skill level is, is much lower than what it historically has been, which is one of the reasons why it's opening up market for us. Yeah. So how about healthcare? Like, let's take it to Novartis, a good company. Uh, I am sure that they have to do, find out what works and what doesn't. I'm sure that they don't have that capability these days because it's just too complex. Uh, but it's not too complex for, uh, it's not too complex for Slootman and for Snowflake. No, I mean, the interesting thing is, you know, you know data starts to, to redefine the economics of the whole industries. And in the case of pharma, uh, you know, it takes, you know, approximately 12 years to take a drug to, to market. If I can shave a year off of that, you know, with, with technology like, like Snowflake, I have six, I have an incremental year to monetize that patent. That is hugely impactful. Never mind, you know, that, that life-saving drugs get to market faster. So everybody wins. So these, these are really important things. Now, I didn't think that you could get a non-gap profitable quarter because I frankly was of the position that I don't care how much Frank Slootman spends. If he thinks he should spend, 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 then he should because he's got the capital. Did you need to do this? Or were you trying to say, you know what, they move the goalposts. I, too, have to play somewhat of the game. Because, Frank, you got a great business model. You could go on for a long time before you had to show profitability. You know, uh, we're, we're not fixated on that. Uh, you know, we, we invest as fast uh, as long as we can do it, you know, smartly and productively and, 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 and thoughtfully. So we're, we're not thinking profit first. Uh, you know, growth is incredibly important. You know, strategically, you separate, you know, from the competition. Uh, that way, the network effect gets stronger. Uh, but we are not a growth at all cost uh, company. We, we, we never have been. It's just not our culture. Uh, but we do invest. When we see the opportunity, we will double and triple down. You know. Well, what I care more is do people who use you come back for more? Because if it's one and done, that's a tough business. Small guys might have that. But if they keep coming back, then I just assume prefer that than some three-year contract that I wish I could get out of. How's the repeat business? Well, we, we are mostly a repeat business. That's, that's, that's the whole nature uh, behind the model. Uh, and that works. You know, we have a, you know, 171%. We report in that revenue retention rate. So you just know the average customer, you know, is, is, is growing that much on an annual basis. So that is uh, how it works. But it's, it's not finite because customers are discovering new workloads, new opportunities, new things to do, you know, on, on Snowflake as they get further into it. So it grows and grows. Nobody knows where this is going to end. Well, I'll tell you where it's going to get in with a higher stock. Frank Slootman is the man I always thought he was. The book is great. Read the book. You understand what he's doing. Frank Slootman is chairman and CEO of Snowflake. What a quarter. S-N-O-W. Frank, thanks so much for coming back to Mad Money. You bet. Thanks, Jim. I knew it happened, and it just happened. It's ready. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. It is time. It's over the lightning round. Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the lightning round. Quick run. Let's start with Paul in Minnesota. Paul. 
Hey, Kramer, welcome from McGregor, Minnesota. Rhythm Pharmaceutical. Am I keeping it? Rip, Am I selling very it? Very interesting I just company. Does it? weight loss, but I got a company that does weight loss and a lot of other things, and it's called Eli Lilly. And it is owned by my Chapel Trust. We talk about it a lot with the investing club, Tom, in Texas. Tom. Jim, Tom McQueen, go bird. Hey, What's happening? You know, look, I have no reason to buy Snap. It is losing money other than the fact that it's a $10 stock. I can't make that be the only reason why I recommend the stock. I need to go to Seth in Texas. Seth. Hey, Jim. Low P.E., decent growth. What do you think of Vista Outdoors? You used to like it. You know, Vista Outdoors, if you actually got rid of the guns, I am a hunter. If you got rid of the guns and just had all the other stuff, I think the stock would be hard because that's the world we're in. Not saying it's a good world, bad world, but it is the world we are in. Let's go. Let's keep going. Let's go to Ann in Arizona. Ann. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking the call. Of course. What's going on, Ann? Wanted to find out about, you think about Eagle Bulk Shipping. Okay, all the bulk shippers have the same problem. They've got these giant yields, but I'm telling you, they are not worth it. I don't like the risk. I don't like the risk. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, where have all the workers gone? Kramer explains why those empty cubicles shouldn't trouble you. Next. of this economy is where all the workers go. Over and over again, we've been told that the workforce has shrunk with people either giving up or retiring to live a post-COVID life of leisure. I bought that rap for a while. There's no doubt a worker shortage everywhere you look. There is definitely one, especially in retail. But after last night's incredible conference call from, of all things, Intuit, the tax preparation and accounting software company, I think I'm developing a different explanation for some of the worker scarcity. See, their small business and self-employment division's revenue was up an astounding 41%, which tells me that a surprising number of people have left other companies and started their own businesses. And I say, why the heck not? Because of outfits like Intuit, don't say Paychex, which is a payroll processor and outsourced human resource firm, it has never been easier to start your own business. The barriers to it, the acceleration the web can give you, just make it too tempting not to try for so many people who feel liberated by the end of the pandemic and just won't go back to the old grind. Who can blame them when you have enough money because you didn't spend much money during the long lockdown and instead got a big handout by the government? Then you can cobble together a couple of months rent or turn your house into a mini office replete with a computer, good and expensive furniture and get rolling. Now, you could say this surge in small business growth at Intuit is sui generis. After all, Intuit's a terrific company that's taking share from everybody else in the industry. But there's almost no one really who competes against Intuit when it comes to this invented suite of tools that gives small business owners everything they need to get started and run the parts of the operation that used to be beyond the reach of small startups. Without them, it's too hard to make it work. You used to have to pay an army of people to start a small business, and then you'd have no money left. No more. That's what Intuit solves. Before the pandemic, if you wanted to make and sell your own handicrafted goods, you typically had needed a front porch somewhere. 
brick and mortar. But with the rise of Shopify and Etsy, you can build an e-commerce platform that rivals any major company. It's as easy as pie. Smart people on the Internet keep driving down the cost of running a business, something we also know from Paychex and Intuit. Now, Paychex, their small, medium-sized clients, are growing at an extraordinary pace. Again, that can't be coincidence. We're seeing tremendous strength in small business numbers, just as big employers are struggling to find workers. Hello? I think a lot of people are sick of working for the man, even as the man does have great health care benefits. Now would be the anniversary of the start of many of these businesses, and if interest rates keep going up dramatically, it wouldn't surprise me if tons of these newly created companies do fail, causing people to slink back to the workforce. At the same time, in another couple of quarters, many of the recent IPOs and SPAC stocks, they're going to run out of money, with many of them going under. Way too many marginal companies with not really good business plans were allowed to raise money way too easily at the public markets, and lots of them spent like mad to take advantage of being the first mover in some niche end market or to expand into adjacent areas. By the way, many of these newer companies were started by people who were living the COVID-inspired dream, a dream that was fantastic as long as you were healthy and the Fed kept rates low, ensuring steady access to cheap financing. But that dream has become a nightmare now that the money's gone. They will be marginal workers filling the jobs that remain empty right now. In the end, when we look back on this moment a few years down, I think we will see this period as a halcyon moment for self-employment. That's where so many workers disappear to. And they're, at least now, joyous entrepreneurs. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.